Let us pause for a moment of prayer. Holy Spirit, as we read your word today, we know that you are our true teacher. So teach us well that we might follow you with joy. In Christ we pray. Amen. The Old Testament scripture reading today is from the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verses 24 through 30. Hear the word of the Lord. So Moses went out and told the people the Lord's words. He assembled 70 men from the people's elders and placed them around the tent. The Lord descended in a cloud, spoke to him, and took some of the spirit that was on Moses and placed it on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but only this once. Two men had remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the second named Mavid, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they hadn't gone out to the tent, so they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, Nun's son, and Moses' assistant, since his youth, responded, My master Moses, stop them. And Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? If only all the Lord's people were prophets with the Lord placing his spirit on them. Then Moses and Israel's elders were assembled in the camp. The word of God for the people of God. And a brief portion of the Acts 2 reading, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our Old Testament story today takes place in the wilderness during the journey of the Hebrew people from slavery into freedom. Ultimately, this marathon walk of faith lasts 40 years but our text catches them at a crisis moment early in the journey. You may not realize that Moses had many extra folks who came along during the Exodus, including a group elegantly translated from the Hebrew as the riffraff. In addition to the Israelites who purposefully set out from Egypt, there were apparently these others who are on the journey, but 
They don't really believe in the journey. And their negativity eventually spreads to the Israelites. And then they all together start complaining to Moses. Just before our text at hand in Exodus 11.4, we hear the riffraff among them had a strong craving. Even the Israelites cried again and said, who will give meat for us to eat? We remember the fish we ate in Egypt for free. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. And now our lives are wasting away. There's nothing but manna in front of us. Moses is so discouraged by the fact that he is leading this mass of people in unprecedented circumstances through the desert and, and toward the far away promised land. And instead of seeing the abundance of manna provided daily, they can only spot what they're lacking, the leeks and the melons and the garlic. They want to go back to what was or to hurry on to what is to come. But the one thing they don't want to do is abide by faith in God in the present moment. Manna, by the way, is a Hebrew word meaning, what is it? And it's provided for them every day, just enough. That's right, for 40 years in the desert, God essentially nurtured God's people with a question. God was teaching them to ask the tough questions of our faith that keep us attuned to where God is at work in our world. What is it? Oh God, what are you doing? But these people, they want meat. And they want Moses to produce it faster than a personal shopper at Heinen's. We don't want to eat the questions that arrive for us every day in the form of manna. We want something solid, something to cut our teeth on, answers. To tell you the truth, if you read the scripture, Moses just about gives up right before this. He tells God he'd rather die than lead these people and the riffraff through the fog of uncertainty. Essentially, he comes to his own limits and rejects the hero's mantle. And it's then that God tells him it's time to call in the elders. For a while now, God has been meeting with Moses in one place, the tent of meeting. That tent is covered by a cloud from evening until morning and appears like a fire by night, a sign of God's presence. The tent has played a central role in the life of the community as a symbol of God's presence with them. When they question, they can see the fire and the cloud. It is a constant in the midst of great change, 
a structure of stability in very unstable circumstances. When the 70 elders are invited to share in the labors with Moses in the days ahead, they come out of the, of the camp and they go to the tent. And it's then that the spirit breaks loose upon all those elders, or most of the elders, because for whatever reason, Eldad and, and Medad are still back in the camp. They're in the ordinary and common spaces among everyone else. They're not in the tent of meeting. And thanks to a spirit who knows no boundaries and won't be contained, these guys have the same kind of encounter with God as those in the tent. And they prophesy. Moses' right-hand man, Joshua, is so disturbed by this that he pleads with Moses to stop them. And instead, Moses basically says, why would I do that? I wish God's fear landed on all people, that, that they would all be prophets. And oh, how we need a fresh outpouring of God's spirit on all people today. This has been a tough week. And much has been revealed that is shameful and evil. It was this week that we passed that mark of 100,000 deaths from COVID-19. More than 100,000 deaths in a few months. And we barely know the names. As patience wears thin, mental health slips, tempers flare, and crime is on the rise. And please, God, can we bring an end to the killing of people of color and the racism that fuels it? How long, O oh Lord? February 23rd, Ahmed Arbery was shot by two white men in Georgia while he was out jogging. On March 13, 26-year-old EMT Brianna Taylor was killed by police when she answered her door in Kentucky during a botched drug raid. On May 25th, George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis with the knee of a policeman crushing his neck for more than eight minutes, begging for mercy until he had no more breath and his body became listless on the paved road beside the tires of the police cruiser. And the refugee family from the Congo, supported by Fairmount folks, is now grieving the shooting death of their 18-year-old son, Eric, last Saturday. How long, oh Lord? Dr. Reggie Williams is a friend and a professor of Christian ethics at McCormick Seminary, and he, he writes with soul-wrenching honesty about racism and being black in America. And a few days ago, he posted this comment. 
Where in this country are black people safe? These past days say it's not in Minneapolis, New York, Kentucky, or Georgia. Not in the South or the North. Not in public or private. Not in your home or your car. At work or at play. Not in church or in a park having a picnic. Where are we safe? And why aren't we safe? I have been chewing on Reggie's questions like manna from God this week. And in the process, I've come to realize that I may have more in common with the riffraff on Moses' journey than I care to admit. What is this, Lord? I don't want these questions. All this attention to our present moment and the evils therein. The daily onslaught of wondering how we can be doers of justice in an unjust world. I don't want the questions of where are you now, Lord? What do we need to do to make our city a safer place for people of color? How can we resist racism and white supremacy? How can we step into the gap for children who need access to internet for education and families losing jobs and domestic violence that takes place far too often? How can we be the church in ways that are inclusive, generous, innovative, authentic, and relevant? No, I, I just want the melons and the garlic. Think about the past or the future. I'm riffraff. And maybe you are too, because it's much easier to murmur and complain. It's easier to be wrapped up in negativity and helplessness. It's easier be stuck in the past or worrying about the future. Easier to ignore what's going on around you than to live the questions of the present, as painful as they may be, to abide by faith in God in the present moment. And thanks be to God, God does not leave us on our own to do this, never on our own. The lesson from both the Numbers text and the story of Pentecost in Acts is that we are given God's Holy Spirit, and we are given each other. You see, Moses thinks he's alone and is playing the hero's role in solving all the problems. He, he thinks he's alone, but he has Joshua. He has his 70 elders, and he has the spirit who can't be contained in a tent of meeting. And the disciples, well, they're, they're waiting around like they were told to do for the gift. Jesus promised them the gift, and they're waiting and they're praying. Then a mighty wind blows through, and then all of a sudden they're speaking different languages, these Galilean fishermen. They're proclaiming the gospel, and, and Peter, who denied Jesus, Three times, not many days before, is now going to preach. 
call for repentance and baptism. And at the end of Acts 2, 3,000 more people are added to their number. You can't contain the Spirit of God in one place, one time, one language, one person, one church. If we can learn anything from Numbers and Acts, it's that we can trust the Spirit to break the old patterns and to break open the new possibilities through those on the margins, the fringes, even the riffraff, and the camps of the ordinary. I know the journey is long right now for all of you. And the manna is getting tiresome. There are way too many questions, and many of us are being pushed to exhaustion. Sometimes we're energized by the challenges generated in these strange moments, and other times we're completely fed up, ready to give up. How might we use this time, this almost breaking point, for so many to let the Spirit reveal old patterns that need to be replaced in our lives, in our communities? What illusions that something was working before are being revealed as false right now, and how might they break open room for radical shifts? In his exhaustion, Moses was able to move from sole authority to, if only everyone was a prophet. That's not inching in a new direction. That's a complete and utter shift in a philosophy of leadership. Are there opportunities before us to be open to God completely and utterly changing long-held practices that need to go in our individual habits? in our family dynamics, in our church dynamics, or in our culture at large. A few years ago, the water level of this certain reservoir in Chiapas State, Mexico, dropped by 80 feet during a severe drought. People were suffering. They were praying. The villagers normally worked as fishermen, so they were worried what would happen if they could no longer fish. And as things got worse and worse, and the questions began to surface, so did the ruins of a 16th century church known as the Temple of Santiago. It came up from the reservoir as the water came down. The church was originally constructed by monks led by Friar Bartolome de las Casas, a Dominican missionary who advocated for the abolition of slavery in the Americas. And it was abandoned after plagues. Plagues swept the region in the late 18th century, and it was buried underwater ever since. But, but now, each day, the water went down. More of the great temple was exposed in the middle of the reservoir. And that's about when the tourists started arriving to see the site. And it didn't take long for the fishermen to realize they had what was needed, the boats to shuttle them out and to, to see the site. And, and later, they would go fishing for them, and, and they would feed them lunch and make some income and from the suffering of the drought. That church was revealed. And whether it can be attributed to the ingenuity of the fishermen or the spirit of the Lord, the revelation of the church 
during a severe drought led to the increased health and welfare of the entire community. And I think there's a word for us here, at least a question. How, in the midst of this current pandemic, this crisis, what can rise up? How church can be church in a new way, in a new moment with the same Holy Spirit of God that knows no boundaries at all. I hope you are noticing what is being revealed in your life during this crisis. Maybe like me, you've noticed a few bad habits that were easier to ignore in the past, and now there's a chance to change them. Maybe you are also noticing moments of blessing. A semi-sleepless night leading to a morning awakened by birdsong. A relationship that's deeper than you thought it was now that there's more time for conversation. A growing communal concern that the way things have been are not the way they should be. A willingness to do something that makes a difference. Relying on God's Holy Spirit and each other. The courage to let the questions be your daily bread. And an awareness that the abundant, overflowing Spirit of God cannot and will not be contained. I am the church. You are the church. May we be the church together. Come, Holy Spirit, renew your creation.